first time up here. Good morning. So I am excited to share the message, and I hopefully won't fall asleep, although being a father of a young child, I am pretty tired. Uh, I believe this will be a very engaging sermon series, and I'm looking forward to hearing the other apologetic arguments we'll hear over the course of that. So five years ago, I was up here sharing a personal reflection with the congregation regarding the importance of apologetics in raising our youth. Apologetics are are responsible for taking me down the path that resulted in me accepting Christianity in my mid-twenties. I also shared that, in contrast, a friend of mine in high school departed the faith once it didn't feel good anymore because of lack of his firm foundation for his Christian beliefs. In my personal reflection, I explained how before even dating, Stephanie deftly introduced me to Christian apologetics for the first time in my life in my mid-twenties by starting, starting a simple conversation about objective morality. I frustratingly spent a few weeks trying to rationalize how an objective moral standard could, be, could exist without a theistic worldview, but that was thwarted at every attempt. Uh, she then suggested I read William Lake's Craig, Craig's book on the cosmological argument, and that led to a handful of other good books about apologetics. Eventually, the mounting evidence for Christianity was far greater than my prior atheist worldview and I accepted Christianity as the best explanation for life as we know it. In the coming weeks, we'll get to hear more about these apologetic arguments that provide evidence that the Christian God exists. I actually want, is the first slide ready? Yeah, so that's the title slide. Uh, so Josh, uh, last week, Josh Birch delivered an introduction to the sermon series on apologetics. The series will closely follow the structure of the book On Guard by William Lane Craig. I hope that at least a few of you managed to grab a copy and checked out the second chapter. If you did, you'll realize that the book is not, in fact, about fencing, but rather about defending your faith with reason and precision, which is fortunate since I would be far less competent teaching you about fencing than reviewing a chapter in this book. So in, the, in Josh's sermon, he defined apologetics as the practice of defending the truth of Christianity through the use of reason and arguments, and reminded us that we are instructed in 1 Peter to be prepared to give an answer for the reason for our faith, which is up there. Josh argued that apologetics gives us a rational foundation for our faith independent of our upbringing or emotional state, and also that it can be a catalyst to bring a non-believer to a place where they might consider Christianity as a viable option. I am personally convinced of the merits of apologetics, as I wouldn't be up here today if I hadn't been compelled to place my faith in Christ based on arguments, or rather apologetics. Today's task is a bit different than reviewing a classical apologetic argument for Christianity, as most of the rest of the series will cover. In many ways, this content is more like a preface to the rest, and will further help set the stage for why we should continually be concerned with understanding why we believe what we do and why it matters. The topic we're covering today in the second chapter of On Guard is entitled, What Difference Does It Matter or Make If God Exists? In this chapter, William Lane Craig explains why whether or not God exists is such an important question. In fact, he states that it's the most important question a person can ask. Craig shows that without the existence of God, there can be no true meaning, value, or purpose in life. And that's a big deal, especially when we consider what life would be like without meaning, value, or purpose. 
So many of us here perhaps take the existence for God for granted and don't often think about the meaning of the universe from an atheistic or naturalistic worldview. It's unlikely we think much of the consequences of what that would mean. From a naturalistic perspective, science tells us that the universe is doomed to death and oblivion. Science tells us that the entropy of the universe will continually increase. Entropy is the physics principle that points to the gradual decline into disorder that all systems experience. Our, our universe is slowly moving towards disorder and is expanding at the same time. And as it expands, the energy that exists within it is being used up. Craig states, eventually all the stars will burn out and all matter will collapse into dead stars and black holes. There will be no light at all. There will be no heat. There will be no life. Only the corpses of dead stars and galaxies ever expanding into the endless darkness and the cold recesses of space, a universe in ruins. This means that from a naturalistic perspective, every human is doomed, the human race is doomed, as is our planet and the whole universe. That is, unless there is a God who has other plans for how the story ends. Now let's look at the implications of a naturalistic worldview on the topics of meaning, value, and purpose. We'll be talking a lot about meaning, value, and purpose. And the first letter of these words conveniently form an easy-to-remember acronym. <laughs> wow. Uh, Craig doesn't use that, and, uh, but it does help my like, sleep-deprived dad brain keep them in order. So uh, you can hopefully help remember him by remembering MVP, or God's MVPs for why God's existence matters. So as Craig states, is his brief description of these three things. Meaning has to do with the significance, why something matters. Value has to do with good and evil, right and wrong. Purpose has to do with a goal or a reason for something. But for, personally, I find these a bit ambiguous, as meaning and purpose appear to be very similar to value. On the surface, it sounds like value should refer to in regard to why our lives are valuable. Craig even admits that they are interrelated and similar, but he maintains the distinction. A slightly clearer way to think about these three topics before we look at each of them more closely might be as follows. Meaning, is there any ultimate significance in what we do with our lives? Value, is there a point to leading a good life versus a bad life? And is there an objective good? Or purpose, is there an end state or is death all that awaits us? Or put differently, we can think of this as meaning is the journey which our lives take and whether all the actions therein will ever even matter. Value is the objective morality by which we ground our lives and are therefore able to create a target to aim at. And purpose is an assessment of the end state, in some sense, whether we hit the target we've just created or got created. Now I'll get into these three points starting one at a time, beginning with meaning. So let's imagine that this dot represents our individual existence along a timeline of humankind's presence on Earth. From what we can tell, the point on the right, where our sun's energy is exhausted and life is no longer supported, is fixed. From an atheist perspective, there's no escaping the death that will come to all things and our entire universe will die. We are utterly powerless to change that eventuality, regardless of anything we accomplish within the tiny blip of time that is our existence. We are an infinitesimal speck lost in the immensity of time and space. The actions in this life are comparable to rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic with an iceberg looming and no way to reroute. 
So as an atheist, accomplishments in this life are only important relative to certain other events. But if the end of humanity is all that awaits us, curing cancer, solving world hunger, or ending all wars would only have relative importance and would ultimately amount to nothing from an atheist's worldview. No matter how far-reaching those actions are, everyone we impact will eventually die, as well, as well as all of humanity and our entire universe. So there's ultimately no significance given. So let's say you're represented by this dot again. This time we're imagining the many lives you'll impact over the course of your existence. You could feel like you're making a huge impact doing all sorts of great tasks. However, how can we say any of it will matter? All that ultimate significance can we ascribe to a life that there's no way to change the extinction of all life? We can extrapolate this reasoning out further. An individual's contribution, if an individual's contributions can't make a difference in the cold, harsh reality of our brief time in the universe, then what about, then what about the entire universe itself? Insofar as our scientific knowledge is correct, it is doomed to die as the energy exhausted and matter begins to be swallowed by black holes. How can anything have any meaning at all when facing this level of impersonal absolute destruction of all things? It is a universe in ruins in this sense. No one would even know that humanity existed at all. For that matter, if we never, had never existed, the ultimate outcome would still be the same. So now let's move on to Craig's second claim, which is life without God has no meaning, or sorry, has no value. This point has two components. The first is that without God, there's no ultimate difference whether we live a life, as Craig puts it, as a Stalin or a Mother Teresa. The second subpoint is that without God, we can't even have an objective moral standard by which to base our understanding of what is good and evil or right and wrong. In a world without God, life will end at the grave. Therefore, with nothing to look forward to after death, your destiny will ultimately be un or is ultimately unrelated to your behavior in this life. While it might seem like we can rationalize the benefit of leading a good light, life, it would be truly foolish to spend any time at all doing unpleasant things if they're avoidable and all actions should therefore be done out of your own self-interest alone. Sacrificing anything for another person would be downright foolish. In a world without God, there can be no objective moral standards either. This is where things get even worse for atheists. No matter how you slice it, trying to rationalize an objective good or bad fails without God. I learned that firsthand. <laughs> all things that are deemed good or evil are given those labels based on a subjective judgment that's culturally or personally relative from an atheist viewpoint. Logically, it follows that without God or a transcendent moral authority to look to, we could, would be left with no objective moral standard and would only have our individual opinions or preferences. On what basis could anyone claim that their version of morality is superior to someone else's, even Hitler's? This point is the most straightforward of the three, in my opinion, but if you're curious to hear more about objective morality, you're in luck since someone in our congregation next month will be giving a sermon in this series about it, as well as the moral argument for the existence of God. So we'll keep moving, and now we're on to purpose. Craig's third and final point about why God's existence matters. He uses Ecclesiastes 3:19 to 20 within this section to drive home his point. For people and animals share the same fate, both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place. They come from dust and they return to dust. If all we have to look forward is death, then what is the goal of life? To what end would we have even lived 
and is it just utterly pointless? I think Craig says it well here with the following. Without God, the universe is the result of a cosmic accident, a chance explosion. There's no reason for which it exists. As for man, he is a freak of nature, a blind product of matter plus time plus chance. Man is just a lump of slime that evolved rationality. There is no more purpose in life for the human race than for a species of insect, for both are the results of the blind interaction of chance and necessity. This is a bleak picture of what everything would come down to if it weren't for God. Atheists believe that the world appeared uncaused spontaneously, and the natural outcome is that they see humanity and themselves as an accident. Life is utterly without reason. If God exists, then there is actually hope for mankind, though. God created us in his image for us to live lives that matter. We are meaningful children of God. We are given an objective morality by God to measure our efforts against and, in turn, morally, a morally perfect being who's made the ultimate sacrifice to reconcile us to him. And we also have purpose in leading lives, as Christ commanded, that are honoring to God with the eternal blessed hope that we look forward to in the new creation that is to come. But if God doesn't exist, all we are left with is despair. As Francis Schaeffer said it, if God is dead, then man is dead too. This is accurate, since without God, we truly would be without value, meaning, value, and purpose. Now let's consider how an atheist would need to view the world without God. The famous British philosopher and atheist Bertrand Russell wrote that we must build our lives upon the, uh, the firm foundation of unyielding despair and the French evidentialist and novelist Albert Camus said that we should honestly recognize life's absurdity. That sounds really cheery, doesn't it? As Craig states, if there's no God, then meaning, value, and purpose are ultimately human illusions. They're just in our heads. If atheism is true, then life is really objectively meaningless, valueless, and purposeless, despite our subjective beliefs to the contrary. End quote. How awful does it sound to live a life without actually having meaning, value, or purpose? This is why most atheists borrow from Christian values. They, they, the quote up on the screen is from Francis Schaeffer, a famous Christian philosopher, theologian, and pastor who Craig mentions provided a lot of groundwork for modern cultural apologetics. Schaeffer was a master at expressing the human predicament, which are the problems one faces in a world without God. Schaeffer used the idea of an upper story and a lower story of our universe to explain his thinking. Atheists live their world whole lives in what Schaefer referred to as the lower story. This, the lower story is where modern man resides and is occupied by the physical world, a world that is absurd. It is only in the upper story, which Christians are able to enjoy by belief in God, which gives us meaning, value, and purpose. It is common for atheists to constantly make little leaps of faith from their first floor absurdity into the upper story to steal morals and attempt to give their lives meaning as though they have, even though they have no right to. They openly deny God, yet their naturalistic view of the world cannot provide them with meaning, value, or purpose, so they must reach to the upper story to find ways to validate their lives or ground their morality. For instance, it's very easy for someone to receive a gut response from an atheist about whether the terrorist attacks of September 11th were wrong. However, according to an atheist worldview, they have no objective means by which to say those Al-Qaeda terrorists were actually acting in a way that was evil. 
since evil is simply a relative construct they've created by adhering to their culture or their own personal decisions about what is good and bad. As reviewed, we reviewed, it's impossible to have meaning, value, or purpose without also existing in the upper story with the acceptance of God. Otherwise, you are relegated to the lower story where solely the physical world resides. And without the second story, you're left with only the absurdity of life. This is the awful state where an atheist finds himself. The problem he faces is that to live in accordance with his worldview, there is no happiness to be found. I don't intend to say that atheists can't live enjoyable lives or their lives are dull, meaningless, or immoral. Atheists tend to find ways to fabricate meaning, value, or purpose, and are able to live lives that may be regarded as incredibly good by most people. They may assert that their lives have significance, an objective morality, or a goal, but they are unable to use anything but personal or cultural opinions. They claim, their claim of meaning, value, or purpose are all inconsistent with their belief that there is no God. This brings us to the dilemma that atheists face in the world without God. An atheist can either live consistently with his beliefs or inconsistently. If an atheist chooses to adhere to lack of meaning, value, and purpose in life, then he faces an existence of depression and nihilism. He openly admits that he is unable to give any justification for his existence. He cannot claim one action is right and the other wrong. He faces annihilation with no immortality to look to and must face the brutal truth of a pointless life. Atheist Albert Camus' realization of this led him to believe that suicide was the only serious philosophical question. An atheist that is consistent acknowledges that life is meaningless, valueless, and purposeless, and merely a wart upon the face of an absolutely impersonal universe, as Schaefer once said. However, an atheist can't live happily and consistently if he knows life has no meaning. So instead, he must decide to pretend that life has meaning. An atheist opts to borrow false meaning, value, and purpose in his life. He must constantly make leaps of faith into the upper story where God exists to justify his sense of meaning, value, and purpose, and, or to even defend that his position on a subject is morally right and someone else is wrong. An atheist that is inconsistent borrows, or steals is maybe the better word, meaning, value, and purpose from the upper story, which can lead him to feel happy, but this results in living inconsistently with his worldview. So here's a table that illustrates these three states. Here in the first row, you can see that the result of an atheist's adherence to their worldview, which does not provide meaning, value, or purpose, is a dismal life while still being consistent. The second row represents many atheists who borrow from Christian values when it pleases them to justify meaning, value, or purpose, stealing from the second, second story, as Schaefer called it. This allows them to lead seemingly happy lives but they're inconsistent with the logical outcome of their worldview. In the third row, we as Christians believe God in a God who gives our lives meaning, value, and purpose, and therefore are able to both live happily and consistently within our framework. There is one caveat that I'll add, though. It feels good to have this meaning, value, and purpose in our lives as Christians, uh, but it's consistent with our belief in God, and it's pretty awesome. But we don't believe, blindly believe God simply because it makes us happy. It grants us significance or gives us value or makes our lives seem like they have some ultimate goal. Rather, we believe in God because he truly exists and there's good evidence and excellent apologetic arguments for believing in him. So we just reviewed why God is needed to give life meaning, value, and purpose. To give our actions ultimate significance, an objective way to know whether what it is to lead a good life, and finally, a purpose for even pursuing a good life. 
It's why asking whether God really exists is the most important question. For many years, I waffled between considering myself an atheist or an agnostic without actually contemplating these questions that I should have been considering. It was easy enough to imagine that I was leading a life that had meaning. I was surrounded by friends, family, and classmates, all who were aiming towards the cultural good life of having an education, a good career, a family, and hopefully a comfortable retirement. It's so easy to idolize the pursuit of this good life while spending days soaking up modern culture and being distracted by a multitude of media sources that someone may never stop and consider these deeper questions. But like Craig says, the question of God's existence is the most important question a person can ask. Yet many atheists don't spend time, much time pondering it. Blaise Pascal was a famous French 17th century mathematician and physicist. He wrote the following tongue-in-cheek statement about a person unwilling to think about this incredibly important question. I know not who sent me into this world, nor what the world is, nor what I, I myself am. I am terribly ignorant of everything. I know not what my body is, nor my senses, nor my soul, and that part of me which thinks what I say, which reflects upon itself as well as upon all external things, and has no more knowledge of itself than of them. I see the terrifying immensity of the universe which surrounds me and find myself limited to one corner of this vast expanse without knowing why I am set down here rather than elsewhere, nor why the brief period appointed for my life is assigned to me at this moment rather than another in all the eternity that has gone before and will come after me. On all sides, I behold nothing but infinity in which I am a mere atom, a mere passing shadow that returns no more. All I know is that I must soon die, but what I understand least of all is this very death which I cannot escape. As I know not whence I come, so I know not whither I go, I only know that on leaving this world I fall forever into nothingness or into the hands of a wrathful God, without knowing to which of these two states I shall be everlastingly consigned. Such is my condition, full of weakness and uncertainty, from all this, I conclude that I ought to spend every day of my life without seeking to know my fate. I might perhaps be able to find a solution to my doubts, but I cannot be bothered to do so. I will not take one step towards its discovery. End quote. This level of indifference amounts to insanity. How could someone have so many unknowns in her life and yet be unwilling to seek answers? It seems as though this individual must be filling her time with trivialities and distractions to escape the anxiety and despair that would surely ensue with such little awareness of her existence. From my experience, atheists are experts at imagining that they have a rationale for a life that's significant or that they can logically justify a moral position on gay marriage or abortion. Maybe some have worked hard to articulate why they don't believe what they don't believe. However, it's more likely they're swept along with the many forms of entertainment that our modern culture offers and give up time and giving away time from that entertainment to think critically about submitting to an authority greater than themselves didn't seem worth the effort. As Christians, we know God exists. We have one that one big question answered, but are we really doing much better than atheists on focusing on deeper thinking? Are we pondering important metaphysical or theological questions? It's so easy to fill our lives with the many distractions and trivialities, Marvel movies, college basketball, cutting-edge technology trends, board games, and fantasy football, to name a few. And these aren't inherently evil, and they're admittedly all activities I've invested a lot of time into. But shouldn't we be more eager to dig into the Word or our theology than scroll through Instagram? Are we striving to know more about God? 
Have we really stretched ourselves to consider the magnificence of our Creator who gives us meaning, value, and purpose? And are we so easily satisfied that we won't take one step forward in our personal effort to know Him more? To conclude today's message, I'll leave you with a few final thoughts now that we've covered the majority of the claims William Lade Craig makes in his second chapter of On Guard regarding why it matters if God exists. Craig gave us three ways our lives would be drastically different without God. We would be utterly meaningless, valueless, and purposeless without God. These MVPs of why God's existence matter might help a non-believer be more open to apologetic arguments. However, it isn't a classical argument in and of itself, at least not in the way I've presented it today. The implications of life without God falls into the broader category of pre-evangelism. Pre-evangelism exposes non-believers to truths that may take down barriers to them being open to accepting Christian truth claims. So take a look at the simple diagram, and within this circle exists classic, uh, apolog classical apologetic arguments, such as those that will be covered later in the sermon series like the Kalam cosmological argument, teleological argument, and the moral argument, to name a few. These classical apologetic arguments are strong in their own right, but convincing an atheist to think about them might be best led by some questions about meaning, value, and purpose in his or her own life, and also might be a lot less abrasive. I think that you might find that asking a non-believer about what the purpose of her life is or how she arrives at moral decisions could lead to a fruitful conversation, or at least put a pebble in her shoe. We believe in God for many reasons, and for me, apologetic arguments are not only how I came to believe in God, but also how I hold strong to my faith. In the coming weeks, this sermon series will cover a wide variety of apologetic arguments which provide evidence that the Christian God exists, and I hope along the way you find some tools that help guide a non-believer towards Christianity and strengthen your own faith. Hopefully today's information gives us a renewed sense of how to thankful we should be to have a creator who gives our lives meaning, value, and purpose, which may even motivate us to be more diligent in maximizing the time we have in this life. Thanks for your attention today. Thanks, Ben. Nicely done. Unfortunately, you'll probably be asked to give a message again now. And you've raised the bar on PowerPoint presentations with all this animation, so boy, oh boy. Um, one thing that I, it was just a simple thing in my own journey through apologetics and stuff, I got stuck on it and finally got moved through just with a simple epiphany was the idea that um, this meaning, value, and purpose, of course you can have meaning, value, and purpose without God. I just don't quite understand the problem here, but it was the, the key word was ultimate, ultimate meaning, ultimate value, ultimate purpose. And um, that was like an epiphany that just, uh, like a domino effect that just all came together for me. And you stressed that this morning, and I appreciate that. And going over, just reviewing again, the whole upper story and lower story, did everyone find that helpful? thought that was really helpful. We've been through that material before, but it was good to put in the context of what we discussed today. So thanks for that. And you're always seeing atheists borrow from the upper story. Carl Sagan, some of you are probably familiar with him, who was a popular astronomer many years ago and um, produced this uh, video series called The Cosmos. And 
he was a devout atheist and kind of set the standard for all this. And whenever he would, whenever in writing he would refer to the cosmos, does anyone recall how he would do it? He would capitalize the C because he would try to deify it. He was always trying to borrow from something that he had no right to. But you see that coming up in all sorts of things. So anyway, um, there's a lot of good content today for us to think about and appreciate that. And I think that's one of the problems you have with the standard with the typical person who really hasn't given this much thought is they just haven't given it much thought. People are not alone with their thoughts anymore. There's always music. There's always videos. There's always things going on. But somebody who hasn't accepted belief in God or has accepted the claims of Christianity, for the most part, unfortunately, they just um, probably haven't really thought about it. So our job as as ambassadors of the kingdom is to get them to stop and to actually think about this. And these points are good starting points for that. So thanks again, Ben. Appreciate it. Let's stand and we will dismiss early today and um, give you more time to hang out with each other and enjoy each other. And from uh, Jude, this um, popular doxology, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. You are dismissed. Go in Christ's name, enjoy each other, and serve each other in love.